Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. He said, Dr. Chapman, we took that little quiz in the book, and he said, I came out that we were in a spring marriage, and my wife came out we were in a winter marriage. He said, so which is it? I said, you're in a winter marriage. (laughs) (laughs) If one of you thinks it's winter, it's winter. That's Dr. Gary Chapman giving some encouragement that whatever season of marriage you're in, you can grow together as a couple. And you'll hear more from him on today's Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, Dr. Chapman is one of our favorite guests here at the ministry, and he offers such biblically sound advice and does it in such an honest and transparent way. Uh, We all connect with him, and that's what makes it wonderful. And today, I think you're really going to benefit from this conversation and learn, I think, some practical tools you can apply in your marriage today to make it stronger. And that's why we exist here at Focus on the Family. You know what? We want your marriage to not just survive, but to thrive. And we're going to give you some of those suggestions on how to invest in your marriage today. Well, Dr. Chapman is the author of a number of best-selling books, including The Four Seasons of Marriage, Secrets to a Lasting Marriage. And he and his wife, Carolyn, live in North Carolina, and they've got a lasting marriage of over 50 years. Well, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? Gary, welcome back to the ministry. Thank you. Good to be back with you guys. Hey, when you look at that, what causes marriage to be in this perpetual transition of seasons that you talk about in your book? And you, you, of course, use the metaphor of winter and spring and summer and fall. Why are we like that in marriage? I think because as humans, we are constantly changing. Hmm. I mean, the winds are blowing different ways and things are happening in our lives. And and that's why I say, you know, seasons change quickly. You can go from one season to another season. But I really, I found this concept of using the seasons to describe the quality of the marriage it is not, it's not the idea you get married in spring, and if you live long enough, you'll get to winter. That's not the idea. Yeah, right. You start in spring and end in winter. Yeah, but it's that, you know, the seasons pretty much describe the quality of the marriage. And if you can see where you are, which season you're in, you can decide, hey, I'd rather go back to spring or summer, you know, and that's what we're trying to do in this book. Well, it's important in that analogy that you use in your book, The Four Seasons of Marriage, uh, you can be in all four seasons probably in a day. Yeah, it's possible. (laughs) It's It's possible, yes. And let's get to it with that in mind. Uh, Talk about, I guess let's start where it's cold and frigid. There are some (laughs) people that like winter sports. I enjoy skiing. But that's not a good thing if you're in the winter of your marriage. What does the winter of marriage look like? Yeah, the winter season is cold, it's harsh, it's bitter. We're hunkered down in the igloo. We're not (laughs) talking to each other. Or if we talk, we're arguing with each other. That's a winter marriage. It's not a place where you want to spend a lot of time. Hmm. When you look back, did you have a winter season in your marriage? And how'd you get out of it? Yes, our winter season came pretty early in our relationship. So you started with winter. (laughs) Well, we were in spring before we got married. It was springtime when we were in love. But uh, it wasn't very long after the honeymoon that we began to come down, and it got cold at our house. So, yeah, we went through a a pretty long winter season there, actually, when I knew nothing about winter or marriage. uh, I just knew this was not the way it was supposed to be, not what I'd hoped it was going to be. You know, for the benefit of uh, the listener, let's go through them quickly and come back. I want to qualify a bit more with winter, but we, we talked a little about winter 
Uh, talk about the other three. Okay, spring, of course, is an exciting time. It's a lot of hope. Uh, it's a lot of uh, really enjoying the relationship. That's honeymoon time. That's honeymoon time. That's right. But it can come later in marriage. You can be in spring and be married 50 years. So it's an exciting time. Summer is relaxed. We've come to accept uh, a lot of the things that were irritating in the early years. We These are the people who go to marriage conferences and read books on marriage because they know that you have to water the flowers in the summer. So they're so, investing. Yeah, so they're investing. Uh, it's a really it's a good season to be in. And then the fall looks good on the outside, but the leaves are about to fall off. People would say about this marriage, aren't they a nice couple? But we know things aren't really that well uh, with us. And if we don't do something, we will end up in winter. Yeah. So the fall looks good on the outside to everyone else, but we have apprehension inside. We have questions in our minds about where this thing is going. And so th- those are the four seasons and the quality of marriage that they describe. And again, uh, you're going to move through these sometimes at a rapid pace. Sometimes maybe you will be stuck for a long period of time, maybe even years. Okay. Uh, moving back now to winter, now that we have the definition of winter, spring, summer, and fall, uh, that couple that has felt stuck in the winter season, I mean, the igloo, the ice, The recriminations, the it's your fault, not my fault, I'm wonderful. How do they begin to thaw? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, and this is really the heart of the book, is we give these seven strategies for improving a relationship, for spending more time in spring and summer. But I think one of the first things, if you're in a winter marriage, is that we have to deal effectively with our failures. We have to head-on recognize that we have created this winter ourselves. How has that been done? I think often it's been done by just simply neglecting each other. We just have not spent time with each other. We've gone our own ways. We've done our own things. We've kept our distance from each other. And we haven't resolved our conflicts. And and so we we find ourselves in a very uncomfortable uh, relationship. What, what about the couple, Dr. Chapman, that's sitting in your office for counseling? And they're both kind of in agreement. Well, you know, Dr. Chapman, life is busy. Uh, I've got this vocation. I'm an executive. I got a lot of demands on me. I travel 200 days a year. And the wife's saying, well, yeah, I've got the young kids. They're the most important thing in my life. And they're kind of rationalizing the drift. Is that typical? It is typical. And one of the things I would seek to say to that man would be, you know, you're probably a great businessman or a salesman or whatever, and you're probably doing a great job with that. And chances are, if you continue on the route you're on, you're going to make it to the top. But I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be at the top alone? Hmm. Because there's a good chance if you continue to focus on your vocation the way you're focusing on it now and neglecting the relationship, you will be alone. Hmm. And most guys, it's kind of sobering to them to think, ooh, yeah, okay. (laughs) And I say to that wife, you know, you're doing a great job very likely with these children. You're investing in their lives. It's a wonderful thing to be a good mother. But those children in 18 years are going to be gone. And if you don't do something to change this marital relationship here, you're going to be alone also. Your kids are going to be off in college. You're going to be home alone. And then what are you going to do? Let's do something now when you can do it. Now's the time to do something. You know, in that context, you know, we tend to think in what some will be critical in stereotypical ways. A lot of women are working outside of the home now. 
And they're doing both the vocational thing. So they could be sitting in that meeting saying, yeah, I'm just really busy. I got all the demands of work on me. Then I get home. And although we share some of those things, I still feel kind of that uh, stereotype burden that I'm the one responsible for the home, for the shopping, for the kids, even though my husband helps, but I'm still kind of the one. Uh, Speak to her and all the activity that's going on in her life. Well, I think that is very common today in today's world, that a wife does have a full-time job and working with the children and trying to do something maybe to keep the marriage together. And uh, what I would say is this, you know, when we get to the end of the journey, and I think of that often because I'm getting closer to the end of the journey, and you look back, the things that really matter are relationships. Mm. And yes, relationships with your children are extremely important, but your marriage relationship is also extremely important. The vocation seems important at the moment. And yes, it's bringing in money so that you can have some of the pleasures of life. But when you look back, ultimately, it's not the vocation you're going to remember and think and feel good about. It's going to be the relationships that you either feel good about or you deeply regret. Mm. Let's live so we don't have regrets when we get to the end of the journey. Mm. Well, I appreciate that perspective. Uh, I wonder if we can go back to you and Carolyn and what you said was a pretty early winter phase that you all went through. How'd you get there and and what were some steps you took to get out of that uh, so early in your relationship? Well, we got there by arguing because that's essentially the way we handle conflicts. I had no idea how to handle conflicts before we got married. Never read a book on conflict resolution. Didn't think we'd have any conflicts because we were in love. (laughs) We didn't have any conflicts when you're in love. And you're so much alike. (laughs) And we're so much alike. We found out we're totally different. (laughs) Uh, So we had a lot of conflicts, and we ended up arguing with each other. And when you argue, you put the other person down. You communicate to them that their answer is stupid or whatever, you know. And it's not a. it creates winter. And it took us a while to realize that that was not working. And I've shared with you on an earlier program that uh, how God worked in my heart to show me that rather than demanding things of my wife and thinking that I'm the leader and she's supposed to do what I say, I got a biblical perspective on leadership. Jesus said to his disciples after he washed their feet, I'm your leader, and in my kingdom, this is the way you lead. You serve. And that was a new concept for me. I thought the leader barked out orders. When I realized that God was asking me to serve my wife, I asked him to change my heart because I didn't have the heart to do that. And when he changed my heart, then I was willing to reach out to her and begin to serve her and find out. And what were a couple of the first things that she allowed you to serve her in? Uh, well, when I asked, when I asked her, you know, what I could do to help her, she had ideas, you know, and one would be to help around the house. I found out years later, of course, I knew nothing about love languages in those days, but I found out years later, her love language was acts of service. You know, I remember when I said to her probably six weeks into the marriage, I said, honey, the toilet's dirty. And she said, I know, I was wondering when you're going to clean it. <laughs> and I said, I don't know how to clean toilets. And she said, I'll teach you. <laughs> you know, she wanted me to do things to help in our little apartment, you know. And I didn't do any of those things because my mother did all that stuff. So, you know, when I asked her what I could do to help her, she began telling me. And so, really, I was loving her. I wouldn't have called it love at that juncture. I would have called it service. Uh, but I was loving her. And she was beginning to feel differently toward me. And then uh-huh. we, you know, when, once you get the, the love thing going, the service attitude toward each other going, then you can work through your conflicts much easier 
because you're not as nearly as demanding, you're trying more to understand each other and then reach a, a resolution. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. They're getting bombarded from so many different directions that I would rather have them doing something in a faith-based background. Values you can trust for your children. And this is just reinforces what they're learning at church and makes things, I think, where they're going to grow up in the right way. Get Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Club Radio. In light of the Supreme Court's recent decision on abortion, are you ready for what comes next? And how should we respond as emotions run high? As Christians, we need to be ready, and Focus on the Family can help you prepare. Join us every Monday to hear inspiring stories from people who faced their own pro-life moments and experienced God's love. To learn more, go to FocusOnTheFamily.com slash SeizureMoment. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash SeizureMoment. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. You know, Gary, I constantly think about why in the marital relationship we tend to be so, and I'm going to use the word, <laughs> stupid. Yeah. And and uh, that's the best way to describe it, unfortunately. I can remember years ago, I was so frustrated. There was just a mound <laughs> of clothes on the ironing board. And I mean, <laughs> it was like three feet high. And I'm thinking, oh, what is going on in here? So Saturday rolled around and I was going to do it. And I began to press clothes for like eight hours. <laughs> I mean, I was like opening a laundromat. This was horrible. And I'm into it like halfway going, this may be one of the stupidest moves I've ever made. But, you know, only through sheer desire to prove I'm right, I hung with it and I got it all done. And to my amazement, with my huffing and puffing and my poor attitude, even though I had done all the, all the pressing, Gene was not that satisfied with me, <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute. But it was the attitude yeah. of the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking, why? Yeah. Why are we so stupid with so much of the conflict in marriage that we're not thinking it through? If I wanted to do that in hindsight, just keep your mouth quiet, have a good attitude, yeah. go in there, get the uh, ironing board, get the laundry, voluminous as it was, yeah. and start doing it. Or to say beforehand, honey, would it be helpful to you if I iron the clothes? Yes. You know, so now you, she can either say, oh, it'd be wonderful. Rather she, than making it a point of instruction. Yeah, right. Which isn't a good way to go. <laughs> right. Did you have something? I mean, did that happen to you where these were points of instruction? The yeah, well, I was always instructing her on what should be done. I mean, that's what I thought about the toilet. Why, why have you waited so long? I mean, the toilet's dirty. Can't you see that, you know? And uh, so I was expecting her to do everything and instructing her that it should be done rather than asking, you know, what can I do? What can I do? I mean, it's the whole thing of questions instead of preaching. And when you start asking questions, you change the whole environment. Well, that's because, what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Hmm. And, and then you, you let their answers guide you into how you can do something meaningful for them. And when a person is actually reaching out to you and trying to help you, inside there's something happens in you, and you want to reach out and help them. Right. It's the whole thing that we love God because God first loved us. We didn't come up with this idea of loving God. He loved us and sent his son. 
and then we respond to his love. And, and I believe that works the same way in marriage. I'd only add that when you do it with a poor attitude, there are no brownie points. <laughs> and I would not do it that way. So right. that was just uh, a miss. One thing before we move out of winter and get a little defrost and move into spring, you mentioned there are some positive benefits in winter, which, you know, most people right now are thinking, what could be positive? Yeah. Well, what is it? Well, the big positive in being in a winter marriage is it often motivates you to do something about it. When you're cold and harsh and bitter, you realize this is not good. This is not the kind of marriage we want to have. And so often it will motivate you to read a book on marriage or to go to a marriage counselor or to go to a marriage conference or, you know, reach out in some way to do something to make it different. And that's the positive thing about winter. Not much else positive about it, but it can be a motivator. It pushes you into another season, yeah. which there's only one way, and that's up in that case. <laughs> that's right. right. Well, I can relate to that here in Colorado. I love when spring comes because yeah. winter just lasts forever here. Yeah. Uh, let's move to spring. You touched on it, but uh, tell us again spring and what that's about. Well, spring is an exciting time. You have visions. You have dreams. You have hopes. Uh, you anticipate things you're going to do together. And almost everyone starts their marriage in spring. When you're in love, it is a spring season. And so you're anticipating all these wonderful things in spring. Uh, And that's good. Typically, people don't necessarily move quickly from winter to spring. It takes a while. And one one of the things that we just touched on is you have to deal with your failures. There needs to come a point at which you say to the other person, in your own words, you know, honey, I realize I have let you down in a lot of ways, or I have been harsh to you, or whatever. You describe, you try to describe what you sense you've done to them. And and I realize I've just taken the joy out of your life, and I don't have any joy either. And I know that a part of this is my fault, and I just want to tell you I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. I want to ask, I hope you can forgive me, and I hope we can have a, a new start. And when you When either one of you takes that approach and you reach out to tear the walls down that have developed between the two of you, you can almost feel the ice melting, you know, and and it begins to get warmer. And then you start doing positive things. And the love language thing, of course, will be a positive thing. Learn how to speak their love language and begin speaking that love language. And now it's getting really much warmer because we've dealt with the past failures. And now we're starting to do things differently than what we've done before. Yeah, Gary, when you talk about the love languages, um, you know, it's been a while since we've touched on those. Uh, give us the five again. And I honestly don't know which one is me. I okay. know that I've taken that test. I've read the book. My kids knew right away what they were, and yeah. they can't even answer what I am. So maybe we can work that out. <laughs> okay. Personal counseling session for Jim right Daly today. With I, don't know. I love them all. but uh, yeah. Well, the five love languages are words of affirmation. Using words to affirm the other person. You look nice in that outfit. Appreciate what you did. Gifts, universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Mm. And then there's acts of service. Cleaning the toilet. That <laughs> might the, be mine. Cleaning the, the garage. Doing the it always comes around to the garage. <laughs> acts of service. Doing something you know they would like for you to do. Quality time. Giving them your undivided attention extended conversations, and then physical touch. Mm. And typically out of the five, everybody except Jim has a primary <laughs> love language. <laughs> I'm the outlier. There we go. I keep telling you, it's, it's physical touch. John uh, keeps hugging me, and I'm telling him that's not my language. Here's another approach for you, Jim. 
When you get a loan, sit down and say, if I had to give up one of these from my wife, which one would I give up first? Huh, okay. And so you've eliminated one, you're down to four. Yeah. Now which one would I give up? And, and part of this is how we ourselves express love. Isn't it? Well, we often express love in the way we would like to receive love. Not always, yeah. but, uh, but many of us are speaking what we want to hear. So I gave my wife, for example, words of affirmation. You know, I told her how nice she looked and so forth uh, because that's my love language. But that wasn't her love language. Her love language was acts of service. I didn't know any of this, you know. So even though I said positive words in her mind, if I really loved her, I would have been doing some of these things. So in her mind, I didn't love her. I was just, uh, these words were cheap to that's her. That's how she interpreted Yeah, that's how that. she interpreted it. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Would you say there's a correlation getting back to the seasons, which is what we're concentrating yeah. on today? If you're doing the love language well, you can probably stay in spring and summer yeah. uh, more likely in your marriage. Yeah. If you're loving each other and doing it on a regular basis in the right love language, and if you're dealing with your conflicts in a positive way, and solving them rather than trying to argue about them and win the argument, then, yeah, you're going to spend more time in spring and summer. Now, you said that for spring that typically uh, identifies the honeymoon period, the infatuation, the blind love. Um, But you said, and I want to dig into it, that a couple can come back to that season of life throughout their marriage. You don't have to see that as only the first couple of years. Absolutely. Now, a lot of People are hearing this going, oh, no way. I just don't believe it. way past that. Because I'm 15 years in, and I haven't felt springtime in our marriage since year one. Yeah. But springtime is often a time of new beginnings. And you can have a new beginning at any juncture in your marriage. Define a new beginning in that context. Well, when you acknowledge the past failures... And you start looking for the positive things in the relationship huh. rather than the negative things in the relationship. And always there's something positive in your spouse. I've never met a man that wasn't something good about him. Yeah, he's a good whistler, you know. So <laughs> That's look, a look, pretty low bar. Look for, look, for, look for something you know, positive. You would pick something I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pathetic whistler. <laughs> Thanks a lot. See, we're even lower of than that. That's what you are. You need to, you're a good man even though you can't whistle, Jim. There you go. I don't believe but, it. But here are some of the emotions that are in a spring marriage. It's excitement. It's hope. It's warm. It's tender feelings. It's happiness. And the attitudes are anticipation. We're going to do some things differently now. And optimism and gratitude. Gratitude's big in the spring. You, you are looking for the positive things. You're expressing gratitude to each other. And the actions you take in the spring are you're planning and you're communicating and you're seeking help when needed and you're, you know, you're reaching out to make things different. This is, a spring marriage is good, and it leads to a summer marriage, which is really even better. Because now we're, we have solved a lot of those things, and we're relaxing in a summer marriage. So spring is good. Gary, let me ask you this. Can it be within the context of a couple? Can one feel like they're in spring and the other feel like they're in winter? I had a man come to me one day and ask that very question. He said, Dr. Chapman, we took that little quiz in the book, and he said, I came out that we were in a spring marriage, and my wife came out we were in a winter marriage. He said, so which is it? I said, you're in a winter marriage. (laughs) If one of you thinks it's winter, it's winter. Right. And I think the reason for that is that sometimes we're not really in touch with each other. Right. And he was satisfied with the quality of their relationship. He was in a bubble. Yeah. But she wasn't satisfied with the quality of their relationship. So we can have different perceptions of our relationship. Wow, that's something. And it would say that she's probably doing a good job speaking his love language, but she's not getting it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is very, that fair? Very likely. Um, you talk about summer. Uh, let's move into summer. We all love summer. Yeah. Summer's the time you go hiking. I don't yep. know how that relates to your marriage, but, <laughs> but summertime. Talk about that. Well, it's a time of satisfaction, and we feel like we've accomplished some things, and we feel connected to each other in the summertime. Uh, but the flowers have to be watered. And in a summer marriage, you realize that. There are thunderstorms, too. There are thunderstorms. Yeah, I call them yellow jackets (laughs) that kind of come out of the ground. These are unresolved conflicts that once in a while do jump up, even in a summer marriage. Uh, And our actions in a summer marriage is that we're constructive. We're taking steps. We're processing our differences. We've already processed a lot of them. But as I said earlier, these are the people who are attending marriage seminars and reading books on marriage and seeking spiritual growth in their lives uh, because summer is a comfortable time in a relationship. We don't, we're not having a whole lot of arguments. We will have some things that jump up once in a while, but summer's very relaxed. So summer is, would that be considered kind of the normal phase of marriage, if I could say it It would be way? the ideal. I kind think of, summer would be the ideal. That's yes. where you're on cruise control, yeah. but in a healthy way. Yeah. That's right. good. Yeah. Hey, we have others, and I don't want to ask the question on fall quite yet, but um, can we stick with it? Come back, talk about the fall, and then some other questions that relate to the seasons and uh, give people the practical advice that they'll need to uh, begin to assess where they're at and where they need to go in the seasons of their marriage. Can we do it? I'd love to. Such solid wisdom and insight from Dr. Gary Chapman today on Focus on the Family. And we're going to have to push pause right there. We'll have the balance of the conversation for you tomorrow. Gary's message is so good. Every marriage experiences these various seasons, and it's important to know how to navigate those. We talked about what to do if you feel you are in a winter season in your marriage, and if that is where you and your spouse are living, Focus on the Family is here for you. Yeah, we have a great team of caring Christian counselors who can listen to your specific situation, they can pray with you, and help you get on the right path. We also have our Hope Restored program, which is doing great work for relationships that are really in trouble. This is a four-day marriage intensive that offers hope and healing for you and your spouse. And people who have attended say it's life-changing. In our post-two-year follow-up, 80% of those couples are still together and doing better than ever. If you're in a place of brokenness in your marriage, get in touch with us. The Lord does amazing things in those intensives. And we also have Dr. Gary Chapman's terrific book on the marriage seasons that we talked about today. It's titled The Four Seasons of Marriage, Secrets to a Lasting Marriage, and you can get a copy directly from us. In fact, when you make a monthly pledge to the ministry at Focus on the Family today of any amount, we'll send you a copy as our way of saying thank you. And if you can't make that monthly commitment, we understand, we'll send it to you for a one-time gift as well. And you can learn more about that book, The Four Seasons of Marriage, about our Hope Restored Marriage Intensives, and you can also donate when you give us a call. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Uh, That's 800-232-6459. Or online, we're at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Join us again tomorrow for more of this conversation with Dr. Gary Chapman. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, I'm John Fuller. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. 
Are you remarried? Over 40% of couples are. If you have a blended family, you know how complex it can be, especially when it comes to estate planning. Ensuring that you're honoring your new spouse and all kids is essential. If you need help preparing a will for your blended family but don't know where to start, Focus on the Family can help. Download our resource, 16 Questions to Ask If You Have a Blended Family. It's our gift to you at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash BlendedFamilyEbook. When you focus on the negative and you say negative things and critical things to your spouse, there's something inside of him that wants to run from you, just yeah. get away from you. So this whole thing of looking for the positive and choosing to think about the positive, it in itself has a way of moving you back towards spring and summer. That's Dr. Gary Chapman, and he's describing one way that you can positively impact your marriage. And you'll hear more from him on today's Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, last time we had a great discussion about the uh, cyclical nature of marriage and how our marriage transitions from winter, spring, summer, and fall, and we find ourselves in any one of those four seasons at any time in our marriage. And uh, Gary Chapman, our guest, has done a beautiful job, like he always does, just capturing complex human relationship ideas and then putting them into uh, more bite-sized formats. And we are going to continue that discussion with Gary today to talk about what season your marriage is in and how to get to a good place. And let me just say here at the start, if you're struggling in your relationship, we do have counselors here on staff, caring Christians who can have an initial discussion with you about where you're at. It may be that you're doing pretty well. You just want a resource. And uh, Dr. Chapman's book, The Four Seasons of Marriage, is a great tool. We've got uh, our counseling team and resources like this book available to you when you call 800-A-FAMILY. 800, the letter A in the word family. You know, so often people will say, you know, I'm praying for focus on the family. Uh, We're supporting you. What else can we do Uh, to engage the ministry of focus. I'll tell you, one of the great things you can do is right here in this area of marriage, be in tune with your neighbors, be in tune with your friends at church. Uh, What may be on the outside may not be the whole story. So keep your ear to the ground. And if you're in that good place, join us in ministry. Turn people toward Focus on the Family to help them in their marriage. Let them know you know of great resources where people can plug in. And you know what? I don't believe we'll disappoint your good advice to your friends. Mm -hmm. I think if they come uh, through the doorway here, we will do everything we can uh, to help them in their marriage journey. So have that confidence, and it's a great way to help people in their life. And uh, with that, Gary, let me say welcome back to Focus on the Family. Well, thank you. Good to be back again. You must experience that, where uh, friends are saying, Gary, I've got a buddy you need to meet and straighten out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Does that oh, happen yes. to you? Oh, yes. And sometimes it really is a buddy, and sometimes <laughs> it's them. They're talking about themselves, you know. <laughs> I've got a friend. <laughs> I've got a friend, yes. And all of us have friends. And sometimes it's easier to try to get an answer for a friend than it is to reveal that this is where I am, you know, in my relationship. But it's okay. Wherever people start, at least it's a step. You know, and last time, uh, and if you didn't hear it, you got to get the download or go to the website and listen. Um, We talked about three of the seasons, winter, spring, and summer. And what I'd like to do, if you could, just give us that recap on those three. And then we're going to talk about fall and move into some strategies 
to help uh, couples get to a good place? Well, winter is cold and bitter and harsh, okay? It's not a good place to be in your marriage. And then spring, of course, is an exciting time. You're anticipating things. You almost always start off in spring, and life is going to be wonderful. You've got great plans and things you're going to do together. You have visions of really a happy marriage. And then summer is you really do have a happy marriage. I mean, things are really going well. You're solving conflicts. You've accepted some things that you used to be irritated about. Uh, You're enjoying discussing life with each other. You're reading books together. You're growing spiritually together. Summer's a good place. Mm. And then the fall, which is the one that we will focus on here, things look good on the outside, but really inside there's a lot of apprehension, some fearfulness, maybe even sadness. Uh, things that just don't feel quite right in the relationship. No one else sees them yet, uh, but uh, we may feel unappreciated in a fall marriage, not verbalizing it. Uh, we, we're uncertain about where things are going, and we also kind of tend to start blaming our spouse. They're not doing what they should be doing. In fact, you, you talk about the number one cause of fall marriages is neglect. Yeah. Describe that. Neglect can be so many different things. Yeah. Um, how do we neglect each other in the marriage? I think it's failing to connect on a regular basis. We're involved in so many other things. You know, it may be work, it may be children, it may be church, it may be good things in the community. We're involved in good things, but we're not connecting with each other. We're not sharing those things with each other. We're neglecting the primary relationship in a family, and that's the relationship between the husband and the wife. Uh, Gary, you counsel thousands of couples, and I'm sure this is probably coming from 999 of them. Uh, Dr. Chapman, I mean, life is busy. Do you notice? Mm -hmm. And I'm busy. And the wife is saying, I'm quite busy, too. We've got three kids in their teens. Um, So that is it an excuse or is it a legitimate issue of life that I'm so busy? It's number four or five or 12 on my list to connect with my spouse. Mm -hmm. That's like the last thing I can get to. Yeah. And if that's our attitude, we're too busy. You know, God would not have ordained marriage and that marriages produce children and thus families if there wasn't time to do it all. Huh. There has to be time to raise children and have a healthy marriage and have a job because God also ordained work. There has to be time to do it. And if we don't have time to keep the marriage relationship growing, then we need to look at our lives and There's some things we maybe are doing that we don't need to be doing. We're neglecting the most important to do something that seems important. Now, you can take a very drastic uh, change in your life to correct that. Uh, What are you suggesting? If my vocation is really consuming me, it's 80 hours a week. And, yeah, I don't really have time to spend on my marriage. And she knows I love her. Because I told her that when we got married, but she's not going to get a lot more out of me. What do you say to that guy? I think there is a time to assess. In fact, there should be many times in a marriage to assess where we are. And if we continue on the path we're now on, where are we going to be in five years or ten years? Mm. And I think there are times to make drastic changes, and many couples have made those changes. You know, I know couples where one of them, for example, a father has decided to be a stay-at-home, you know, caretaker for the children. 
because the mother's got a job. She's making three times what he's making. Right. So they just together agree this will work and we can have a family, you know, and, and it, it may be the other way around. Is it a mother may decide I'm going to be a stay at home mom and for a season in my life. Maybe you have a vocation that you really, really love, but you're going to choose to stay at home for a season. And then later on, you can pick back up your vocation. So some of those big decisions can be made, but many times it's more the smaller decisions. It's looking for time and making time to stay connected. That's the easier pathway. Yes. One of the strategies you encourage in your book to get to a better season in your marriage is to identify past failures. Uh, That can be hard. I mean, we don't like looking in the closet it saying, yeah. yeah, that was wrong. Uh, yeah. What's the importance of that? We don't like looking back. We would hope that time would just erase the effects of our failures, but time does not erase the effects. You know, the scriptures are very clear. If we confess our sins, God is ready to forgive our sins. Same principle applies in human marriages, mm-hmm. human relationships. If we are willing to acknowledge that I failed you in this and this and this, most of the time our spouse is willing to forgive us. But the very fact that we bring it up and say, I've been thinking about us, I've been reflecting on our lives, and I realize that I I failed you in some really significant ways. And you kind of spell them out and ask for forgiveness. And even if it's deep hurt and been there a long time, your spouse may not immediately forgive you, but they walk away thinking in their mind, wow, never thought I'd hear this. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and three days later, they may well come back and say, I've been thinking about what you said the other night. Mm. And I realized I haven't been the perfect spouse either. And maybe they share some things. And then you forgive each other. Mm. It's a huge step in moving forward to recognize and deal with past failures. I I don't think I would be um, speaking out of turn. When when we came up to this part of the conversation, I immediately thought of a past failure in our relationship. And I won't go into details, but I said something very, very hurtful to Dina. This was many, many years ago. And I think we've resolved that. But um, I'm not sure. Maybe we haven't. (laughs) So when that one pops into my mind, should I let that maybe be a little prompt from God to go back to her to say, do you remember that time? Because I don't want to go there, right? I mean, that was, I caused such pain. I'd like to keep the door closed on that one. Is there value to going back just to make sure? I think if you have a question, it would be worth your while to say to her, we were discussing this today and this popped back in my mind. I just want to make sure that that's all clear. Mm-hmm. And and she may well say, honey, it's clear. I don't know why you even thought about it. Or she may say, you know, it does bother me once in a while, too. Hey, Gary, you talk about a three-step process for working through those past failures that we're alluding to. Uh, give us an example of how you've uh, walked a couple through the process in your counseling, if you can. One is to ask God, just take an hour away and sit down alone with God. And ask God to bring back to your mind all the places where you failed your spouse in the past. And just write them down. And just write them down. Mm. And God will do that because God wants us to deal with our failures. Mm. Then you go to your spouse and you tell them, you know, I sat down with God the other day and I asked him to tell me where I have failed you in the past. And he gave me a pretty good list. And if you've got a few minutes, I'd like to share these with you either now or later and see if you could forgive me. Wow. Your spouse is listening, and chances are they'll make time to let you read the list. That right there is probably worth the two days of listening to this program. (laughs) I mean, I think that could make a dramatic difference in your marriage. Um, 
man, try that and then let us know the difference it made in your marriage a week or the next day. I would love to hear from you if that piece of advice right there made a difference for you. Wow, Gary, that's powerful. And if your spouse happens to say, once you read the list, I'd like to forgive you, but I don't know if I can, Hmm. give them time. Just Just say, I'm not, I don't want to pressure you for forgiveness, but I hope that you can eventually find it in your heart to forgive me because you deserve more and I want to be what you deserve and let it ride. Mm. I can tell you there's a good chance now you start being kind and changing your behavior that they're going to forgive you and may come back and confess their own failures. Gary, as you describe that, the word that jumps into my mind like a neon sign is humility and vulnerability. And again, what is it in us as human beings that that's so hard a place to get to, that vulnerability to to be able to do that, which, I mean, I think a lot of people are exhaling going, ah, if we could only do that, it would be different. Why can we not get there? What is it in us that we don't want to be that vulnerable? We'd rather sit in the muck of our marriage than do that. I think it's the work of the enemy in our hearts and in our minds. He doesn't want us to confess our failures. He doesn't want us to experience forgiveness. And anything he can do to keep us from getting there, he will. I think also we are self-centered. We are prideful and Yes, it's hard to acknowledge your failures, especially in a close relationship like marriage. But when we do, we're freed. You know, even if they don't forgive you, you feel better because you you laid it on the table. And it's so biblical. I mean, God doesn't just forgive everybody. He forgives people who confess their sins. Hmm. And that principle is true here. We don't just expect our spouse just to forget all this stuff. But if we confess it, then they can forgive. And now we can we got the wall torn down. Now we can begin building our marriage or rebuilding our marriage. Let me ask you in that context, though, that scripture where the disciples and the Lord are talking and Jesus is saying, forgive 70 times seven. Um, You you can interpret that in a lot of different ways in a marriage conflict. And the husband who for the umpteenth time is coming back saying, please forgive me for that. What's the healthy approach in that? I mean, if you're thinking forgiveness anytime, cheap forgiveness, it may not mean enough. In a marriage, what should it look like? Well, I think Jesus was saying, most of all, we should always be willing to forgive and have no limits on forgiveness. Having said that, I think what you describe when they come back with the same failure over and over and over and over again that there is a place for us to confront and to say, you know, honey, I, I think you're sincere. I believe you're sincere. But why don't we talk about how we can change the behavior? Yeah. And let's come up with a plan where you won't do this again. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. What is building up your teen girl's belief system? And that's the main thing, actually, that I've gotten from the Brio magazine since I've gotten them is just how to stay strong in your faith and how to just every day rely on God for everything, even if you're having a wonderfully good day or just an absolute terrible one. Discover how Brio Magazine can capture the heart and faith of your teen girl at focusonthefamily.com slash Brio Radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. 
Gary, you've touched on those three key components of identifying your failures and confessing those to your spouse and then seeking forgiveness. Um, Those are all biblical approaches to human relationship, particularly in marriage. Let me uh, ask you about another part of the strategy that caught my attention. That is to um, have a winning attitude toward your spouse. And I, I mean, so many wives and husbands are going, yeah, but you don't know my spouse. <laughs> what is it to have a winning attitude and where does that come from? Well, it's the opposite of having a negative attitude. The negative attitude is, you know, it's never going to be any better. It's gone on too long. Too much has happened. Nothing can ever be better. If you keep that attitude, nothing will be better. You will stay in a winter marriage. But if you begin to think in terms of there's got to be something good here in our relationship and you start focusing on the positive, you know, this is what Paul encouraged us to do in Philippians chapter four, when he said, you know, if there's anything good and holy and right, and he listed a whole thing of things, he said, think on these things, think on the positive things. You start looking for positive things in your spouse and then you start verbalizing those things to them. Look at them the way God looks at them. Huh? Your spouse is somebody made in the image of God. They're gifted by God. They have the ability to do things. And you start walking down that road, and you'll begin to see some good things in your spouse. And then you verbalize it. It may be simple things. It may be little things. But you begin to verbalize the positive things in the relationship. And when you verbalize the positive to your spouse, there's something inside of them that wants to be better. Every time you commend them for something or point out something about them that you really like, They want to be better. I remember when my kids were little, my wife would tell the children what a good father I was. And I knew sometimes she was going way beyond reality. (laughs) But every time she told them how good I was, it made me want to be as good as she said I was, you know? And, And conversely, when you focus on the negative and you say negative things and critical things to your spouse, there's something inside of him that wants to run from you, just get away from you. So this whole thing of looking for the positive and choosing to think about the positive, it in itself has a way of moving you back towards spring and summer. And, and the power of these positive words and the, the positive attitude is not necessarily going to create instant change in a relationship, is it? I mean, not necessarily. there could be years of yeah. negative things going yeah, on. Yeah, not necessarily quickly, but they do move you in the right direction. They begin to thaw the ice, <laughs> and they begin to move you back towards spring. Mm-hmm. Gary, you talk about the Dead Sea people and the Babbling Brook people. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> what in the world are you getting at there? I'm talking about our personality when it comes to talking. Some of us are Dead Seas. You know, the Sea of Galilee flows south by way of the Jordan River into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea goes nowhere. That's why we call it the Dead Sea. Some of us have that kind of personality. We can receive thoughts, feelings, experiences throughout the day. We have a large reservoir where we store all of that, and we're perfectly happy not to talk. If you say to a Dead Sea, what's wrong? Why aren't you talking tonight? A Dead Sea will say, nothing's wrong. What makes you think something's wrong? It's just that they can be content not to talk. Now, the other personality type is what I call the babbling brook. (laughs) And that's the personality that whatever comes in the eye gate or the ear gate comes out the mouth gate. And normally, there's not 60 seconds between the two. (laughs) In fact, if no one is at home, these people will call someone on the telephone. You know what I just saw? You know what I just heard? They have no reservoir. 
And usually, these two people marry each other. <laughs> usually? <laughs> and the, and the babbling oh, brook will complain that her spouse doesn't talk. And often that spouse is a husband. He just won't talk. I just have to keep asking him questions. He can sit down for a whole meal and not say a word about what happened today. Well, but and the difficulty is you don't bring a bulldozer in to make the Dead Sea a babbling brook. What do yeah. you do, though, to find some compromise? Yeah, you're never going to change the basic tendency, but you can both learn to grow toward the middle. The Dead Sea can learn to speak more than he would nor- or she would normally speak. The babbling brook can learn to slow the flow ask more questions, and become a better listener. Mm. And I say to the babbling brook, don't ever expect the other person to talk as much as you talk. But if you'll ask questions, they may give short answers, so you ask another question just to follow up, and don't get annoyed, just keep asking questions, and they will respond to questions. It's easy for a dead sea. It's easier if you ask me questions. Because otherwise, you just say, I wish we would talk more, and I'm thinking, about what? And why? Yeah, and why? (laughs) What, 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 What do you mean, talk more? But give me a question. I can respond to the question. Developing that empathetic ear to listen. I mean, I think, unfortunately, in marriages, that's where we lose our ability to do it so quickly. Maybe after year two or maybe month two, uh, we tend to not stay in touch with that ear to listen to each other. How do we maintain that as a good, healthy part of our relationship? You know, I never heard the word empathy when I was growing up. Uh, it's a psychological word, but really it's simple. It means putting yourself in the shoes of the other person and trying to look at the world through their eyes. So when they're talking, what you're trying to do is look from their perspective. What are they saying? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? And you ask questions to clarify it and make sure you understand what they're, honey, is this what you're saying? Sounds to me like you're saying this. And give them a chance to clarify That's empathetic listening. It's really trying to look at their perspective. Now, if you do this, then a little ways into the listening, you can honestly say, honey, I think I hear what you're saying. And you tell them, and they say, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do you find that one gender, I mean, we laugh about that. That sounds exhausting. I mean, most guys will probably go, that's right, Jim, that sounds exhausting. (laughs) And we even laugh like that. Do Women, do they tend to be better listeners than men? You know, I I don't want to put men in a category, but I do think that at least the men I've encountered <laughs> have more difficulty doing this than do their wives. And then how do we get beyond the joke of that, that it's yeah. exhausting? How do we say, yeah. okay, it's exhausting, but I'm going to do it? Yeah. Uh, what kind of triggers do you use to say, okay, calm down, Jim. Yeah. Listen to what Gene is saying. If you have to set time limits, then you can set time limits. See, some guys say to me, Dr. Chapman, I don't want to get in a conversation with her at night because it's going to be three hours. And I'm exhausted. And I'm exhausted already. You see, and, and the wife is just crying for more conversation. And I say to both of them, okay, let's back off and let's not try to cram it all into a three-hour period. Let's give her 15 minutes each night. Yeah. And if she knows there's going to be another 15-minute conversation tomorrow night, she can learn to accept that yeah. because she knows it's not going to build up and become a three-hour conversation. So I think finding out what works for you as a couple, but we have to listen to each other. If we don't listen, we will never understand each other. Mm, But if you listen long enough, you can say, honey, I think I hear what you're saying. And here's the other line. And it makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense. And it does. From their perspective, it always makes sense. And when you say that, you are no longer an enemy. You are a friend. Yeah. And then you can say, let me share my side, honey. 
Gary, this has been fantastic advice, both today and last time. Uh, Probably the last question I need to ask is a final word from you. Okay, you've identified the four seasons, and I am living in winter. I don't know where my spouse is living, but I'm living in winter. People that feel stuck in that place, what can they do when they get home today? What can they do to begin to change it, to find spring or summer, at least fall? Do something different from what you did last night. Don't do the same thing or you'll be at the same place tomorrow night. And maybe that means simply saying, honey, I haven't told you this in a long time, but I appreciate the fact that you work so hard to provide for us. Or something else that's positive. Just say something positive tonight, something you haven't said in a while to your spouse. That's a good place to start. Dr. Gary Chapman authored the book, The Four Seasons of Marriage, Secrets to a Lasting Marriage. It has been great to have you with us. Thank you, Jim. Always good to be with you. Well, what a meaningful conversation we've had with Dr. Gary Chapman today on Focus on the Family. Well, I hope you've been encouraged to work on your marriage, regardless of the season you're in. And you know, this is why Focus on the Family exists. We want to help you have the best marriage possible. And of course, challenges arise. We get that. Those are the winter seasons. But we can help. We have caring Christian counselors on staff that will listen to you, pray with you, and offer some insight on how you can move forward. And beyond that, our Hope Restored Marriage Intensives are really outstanding. Um, A couple of years ago, Dina and I had the opportunity to attend one. It really changed our relationship for the better. Well, lots of couples who have gone through those intensives say the same thing, John. I love hearing about the marriages that have been saved through Hope Restored. God is doing some amazing things in that program. I'm so proud of it. Uh, Couples on the brink of divorce come back stronger and better than ever. And when we do our two-year follow-up survey, 80% of those couples report that they are still together, still married, and have a higher level of marriage satisfaction. That's excellent. That's the goal. So if you need help in your marriage, uh, get in touch with us today. Today may be the day that everything changes for you. And we also have Dr. Chapman's great book, The Four Seasons of Marriage, Secrets to a Lasting Marriage. Uh, You can order that directly from us, and the proceeds all go back into ministry here at Focus on the Family. We don't pay shareholders. Uh, When you sign up for a monthly pledge of any amount today, we'll send you a copy of that as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. And if that monthly commitment is too much, we get that. We can still send it out for a one-time gift of any amount. No amount is too small when it comes to saving marriages and helping families to thrive. We hope you're hearing how much we appreciate you, and we're thankful that you chose to do your ministry through Focus. Yeah, donate today as you can. Learn more about Hope Restored and uh, get your copy of the book, The Four Seasons of Marriage. You'll find us online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 1-800-the-letter-A-in-the-word-family, 800-232-6459. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.